Great. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see familiar faces here and lots of familiar faces as well. I'm Francis. Um, I'm on the leadership team here at King's and also worship over at the Hazelmere site. Uh, and as ever, when I come back here, somebody said, so they let you in then, um, which is always nice to hear as a welcome. It's just great to be here again uh, this morning. And um, as Elizabeth said, we're continuing our series on the Creed. For those that haven't been here for the last few weeks, we're doing a, a series on the Apostles' Creed and we're reading it as we've just done this morning every week to reaffirm what we believe in. And and today is, I believe, in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. Uh, Before I get into talking, let's read from the Word of God. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians verses 12 to 14. It's going to be on the screen there behind me. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are they are from one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And then over to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of of it. So over the last few weeks we've been looking at what we believe in about God. It's all about I believe in God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. We believe in the resurrection, we believe in Jesus, that he died for our sins. It's been very God focused and today we move our attention to the church. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. So I want to begin with a question today for, for all of us here. Why do you come to church? Why do you come to church? Why are you here this morning? It's an interesting question. Uh, Elizabeth opened the meeting. Why do we worship? Why do we come to church? But perhaps you come to church because it's, it's what we do every Sunday. We come here, we, we come to meet with others, we come to worship, we come to lift up the name of Jesus, we come to pray, we come to hear teaching, we come to fellowship with each other. That's why I come to church. Maybe you come to church because you've been invited along today by a friend or a family member. It's not the usual place for you to be this morning. And that's the why. Well, I've been invited along here today. Maybe you're visiting the area and you've just come along today. Or maybe you've recently moved to the area and you're just checking out a few churches in the area. But, you know, why do we come to church? Maybe for some here in the building, they've come to church today because mum and dad wants them to come to church. Because they have little choice. We're going to church and you're coming with us because you're not staying at home on your own. That was certainly the case for me as I was growing up. My dad is a Church of England vicar. So from as early as I can remember, I went to church every single Sunday without fail. Um, we were at St Swithin's Hither Green in South East London till I was about 10 years old and then moved to Red Hill in Surrey, St John the Evangelist Church in Red Hill in Surrey until I was just before my A-levels and then we moved to Dudley in the West Midlands so that was a culture shock but moving to the black country from Rygate in Surrey um, and uh, moved to Dudley in the West Midlands which is another few years there at St Thomas's Church in Dudley. The church there on the screen, the one with the spire, that is um, St John the Evangelist Church in Red Hill. So I was there till I was about 10 years old. It's a spectacular building. It's designed by the Gothic architect G. 
John Pearson. He also designed Truro Cathedral um, in 1879. It's about the most popular church in the area for weddings. It's set on a hill, spectacular building. Everyone just wanted to get married there. So sometimes dad would pack in four weddings in one Saturday afternoon. And it would be like a conveyor belt of weddings. And you could literally pick up the confetti from the previous wedding and throw it on the people for the next one. Really good for me as a young bell ringer because we used to get paid per wedding. So it's very much better than a paper round in an afternoon. Uh, But I was a a choir boy. Thankfully, I have no photographic evidence of this. Uh, So I was a choir boy. I was also a server. So very much uh, involved in the church. Uh, And back in uh, the the first church uh, in St. Swithin's in Hither Green when I was much younger, I used to actually go to work with with Dad uh, because Mum was at work, so sometimes Dad had to take me along to work um, as kind of babysitting. So I'd go along and visit uh, elderly people. That was always a bonus when the cake came out. That was a big focus for me as a young as a young kid and I'd always, yeah, I'll come along and visit, no problem at all. And sometimes I'd go along also to, to funerals with dad, uh, not to attend the funeral, that would be a bit odd, wouldn't it? But sometimes dad would take me along and say, uh, Francis, you sit in the vestry and um, there's a colouring book and you do some colouring and I'll go out and, and then I'll come back in and, and that would happen. I was perhaps six or seven years old and I used to peer out of the window and just watch the proceedings and watch what was going on. And Dad tells me there was one time when he came back in um, from having conducted a funeral. And I, I looked up at him and I said, Dad, which, which one did you bury today? Was it, was it the woman in the fur coat who was crying at the front? Bury them. <laughs> Genuinely believe that that's what happened at the funeral, that they would choose the person and just bury them. <laughs> and that's why she was crying. Uh, so... <laughs> So, so thankfully, Dad corrected me on my uh, theology there, but 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 certainly, um, you know, that that was that was my upbringing, um, I, and I'm really grateful uh, for my parents for the Christian upbringing that they gave, they gave me and the foundation that they laid. If we could have that uh, photos up again, the second photo there is Dudley Christian Fellowship. And that was another church that that I attended. A friend of mine invited me along to that church when I was about 17 years old. And um, it was an outreach service. And it was in that building that um, I heard the good news of Jesus Christ and responded personally to the good news of Jesus Christ. I knew the Bible. I knew of God. I prayed to God. But it was in that building um, that God really really did meet with me and um, you know it just goes to show that the church is not about the building the church is about the people of God and what happens amongst God's people but um, for me growing up as a a young child certainly saying the creed and reciting the creed was a real it was a highlight of the service I would say Um, uh, largely because it marked about the halfway mark of the service so you'd, you'd, I'm sorry, I was, I, was, I was a kid and you know, you'd, you'd chunk out the service and the creed was that point when you're about halfway through, you've had the collect at the beginning and then you have the communion, but the creed was right, we're, we're really getting there, we're motoring on in the service. But actually I joke, it was also a moment in the service that, that meant something. I remember it always just meaning something. There was a sense of, of, of big people being galvanised with a common belief and standing up and saying, we believe. And it was a, it was a powerful moment within the service of, of common unity and declaration of what we believe in. And it's really important that we as people declare what we believe in. And if I was asked now, why do you go to church? It wouldn't be because I have to, my parents expect me to. It's because I believe in the church. 
We believe in the church. We believe actually there's no better place to be than this, here this morning. This is a great place to be here this morning. We believe in the church and the future of the church. But to, to really understand that, that, that statement, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints, we, we need to know what we mean by the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of, of saints. Now someone did joke with me that would I be dressing up as Pope Francis today just to illustrate the point and come up on stage in that way just to say we believe. But of course as we've said every week when we say the Holy Catholic Church, Catholic here with a small c, we are saying we believe in the universal church. The universal church. The Greek root for the word Catholic is kataholos. Kataholos. Kata meaning according to, and holos meaning the whole. So we believe in the whole, the according to the whole, the universal church. So if someone has a Catholic taste in food, it means they will like Indian food and Chinese food, and they'll enjoy pub food and vegetarian food and vegan food, any type of food at all. I have a Catholic taste in food. I just like anything. That's just kind of universal taste in food. And the first, the, the first time the, the word Catholic was used in reference to the church was actually Ignatius in the second century. So he was using the word, it's Catholic, it's universal. So it's absolutely no reference at all to the denomination of the Roman Catholic Church. That's just one of the expressions of the church. So Holy Catholic Church means we believe in the universal gathering of those who are called out. Ecclesia means people who are called out. Called out from the world, called out as a people. So we believe in this universal gathering of those who are called out. In fact, by saying we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we're actually saying that we are declaring a a universal belief in no exclusive one denomination, but the whole church. So, you know, for example, if you said, well, I I only believe in the, the Anglican Church or the Anglican expression of worship or I only believe in the Methodist church, or I only really believe in the uh, non-denominational evangelical church. We said, we only believe in that. That's like saying, I've got a Catholic taste in food, as long as it's meat and two veg. It just doesn't make sense. By actually saying we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we're saying, regardless of denomination, regardless of style of worship, regardless of, actually to some extent, of some beliefs, we believe in the Catholic, the whole church. And as we know, there are many denominations in the church uh, and lots of different streams even within those denominations. There's High Anglican and Lower Anglican. There's Roman Catholic. There's Baptist, uh, Methodist, Presbyterian, Eastern Orthodox, Evangelical. Within that Hillsong and Bethel, Kingdom Faith, New Frontiers, Lutheran, Pentecostal, Vineyard. And the list goes on and on and on. And we've many different ways of doing things. Um, we sometimes have different beliefs on church structure and governance and even actually on some matters of theology. But ultimately, we're all part of the universal church. And, you know, we're one of many churches in this area, in, in High Wycombe and the surrounding towns. We're one of many churches, Holy Trinity, uh, Pen Free Methodist Church, St. Peter's Loudwater, St. Andrew's Hatters Lane, St. Augustine's, the Salvation Army. That's just to name but a few. And at King's, we're involved in initiatives here, such as Love Wickham and, and Christians Against Poverty and Wickham Homeless Connection. Very much involved, Lighthouse that's coming up shortly in the summer holidays, praying for the Muslims in the community. And we have really good relationships with the other churches in this area. I know that John and the team meet every other month with David Dust and 
they have a, a, an all-church gathering to, uh, to think about what we can do to, in our mission to this area. And just on that, I'm not expecting you to read all the names of the churches there, but those are all the churches that have signed up and are involved in Love Wickham. You know, there's certainly more there than the ones I read out, but the whole number of churches, the universal, the Catholic church, even in this area. And that's great. Author Alastair McGrath observes that. You know, many Christian churches have come to realise that what they have in common is far more precious and important than what divides them. There's a growing recognition that Christians are at liberty to disagree over certain matters, things that are not essential to the gospel, while taking a common stand in the essentials of the gospel. So we we celebrate what we have in common. We celebrate that we have in common that we are saved and that we believe in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. The creed is what we celebrate, that which we declared earlier on. So a group of believers meeting in a cave in Cairo is part of the Holy Catholic Church. A group of believers meeting in a prison, as you see there on the screen, that is part of the Holy Catholic Church. A congregation meeting this morning in a cathedral in Salisbury is part of the Holy Catholic Church. And regardless of building or worship style, that photo in the bottom corner is the church that we went to on Easter Day. It's in Polseth in North Cornwall and there is no building there at all because it was a beautiful sunny day and the whole service was outside. And it was just fantastic as we were singing Thine Be the Glory uh, across Polzeth Bay. And people, holiday makers were walking by, some people were coming in. It was just fantastic to worship together with the family of believers across the world in North Cornwall. You'll notice uh, that my two sons are there somewhere, but there's also a, a brown poodle in there and a man eating an ice cream. I'm not suggesting we have a bring your dog to work morning, uh, to church morning on a Sunday. But, but it just goes to show this is the gathering of God's people. This is the Holy Church that we believe in. And we're all part of that. Millions of people around the world meeting now, worshipping Jesus and looking to him and celebrating. J.L. Packer writes, each congregation is a visible outcrop of the one church, universal, called to serve God in humility while living in prospect of glory. Catahollis, according to the whole. So, so why is this belief in the universal church, this gathering of people in tents and in buildings and in school halls and in churches and in grand architecture buildings and outside, why is belief in this diverse group of people so important to our faith? Well, the church is more than just a gathering of believers. It is a, a gathering of believers, but it's referred to in the Bible as the body of Christ. It's referred to as the bride of Christ. It's referred to as a spiritual house. Now, these are really big concepts. You could have a teaching series on each one of these concepts, and we don't have time to deep dive in these today. But I do want to talk about what are the characteristics of these words, and what are the characteristics of the church, and what that means to us, and what our response to that should be. So firstly, the church is God's house. The church is God's house. Throughout the Bible, right in the book of Genesis, we read of a God of love. And Richard touched on this last week. A God of love who desires to dwell with his people. He desires to live with his people here on earth. In Genesis 3, we read God walking in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. Dwelling here on earth. Walking in the garden. He's there on earth. 
And then in Exodus 25 on Mount Sinai, Moses is caught up in the presence of God and the tablets and, and, and this, this moment of God's presence. And God instructs Moses to build a tabernacle where God's people through the priest can come into God's presence. And the word tabernacle is from the Hebrew word mishkan, the Hebrew word mishkan, which means residence or dwelling place. It's a home, it's a house. And after Israel is settled and resting in the land, this nomadic resting place, dwelling place of God moves into a temple. In 1 King, we read how God gives Solomon wisdom to build this magnificent temple of acacia wood and gold where the Ark of the Covenant will dwell, the very presence and the very, the very living of God here on earth. And then we move to the New Testament and we read at the beginning of John's Gospel that Jesus is the word became flesh, dwelling or tabernacling amongst us, living amongst us. Now God's glory, God's presence is in Jesus, his son, living on earth as a human. And so the holy presence of God that once dwelt within this tabernacle, within the ark, is now in Jesus. And he's living amongst us. He's walking amongst the people. No wonder there were crowds wherever he went. This is the very presence of God in the man Jesus. And the first mention of the church, the word church in the Bible, comes actually in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus says to Peter, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. Jesus is introducing a completely new concept here. It's a completely new concept that he would build his church here. Instead of it being a physical house, Jesus is saying, I am building a spiritual house in which God will now dwell. And Jesus is the chief cornerstone of that church, that new dwelling place. We read in Ephesians 2.19, you are members of God's household. We are members together of God's household, his home. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling A dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The church, the dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You look at the definition of the word cornerstone in Wikipedia. It's the first stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation. It's important since all other stones will be set in reference to this stone. Thus determining the position of the entire Structure Jesus, the first stone, the cornerstone of the church, reflecting his glory because every other stone is set in alignment to Jesus, the chief cornerstone. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell prevailed against God's previous dwelling place, Adam and Eve sinned. They were tempted by Satan in the Garden of Eden. They were cast out. The Ark of the Covenant was stolen. The Israelites rebelled. In Ezekiel 40, we read that during the exile, God's spirit abandoned the temple. 
But Jesus has come to build a new tabernacle and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. A new dwelling place for God that will not be destroyed. You know, the gates of hell will never overcome the church. When we say we believe in the church, we're saying we believe in the future of the church. The church is here to stay. And I don't care what statistics we read about the church in the UK. The church is growing and the church is here to stay. Because Jesus said it was going to be that way. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we have absolute confidence in the church, past the church today and the church's future. It's permanently here on earth. This is a permanent dwelling place of God here on earth. And the old house, as we know, was built with bricks. It was built with acacia wood and gold and it was amazing. But it was a physical temple. We are now the bricks. 1 Peter 2.5 You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, the dwelling place of God here now where his presence dwells. You know, the royal standard is flown at any royal residences at Sandringham or at Windsor Castle or Buckingham Palace. It's flown whenever the monarch is in residence. If the Union Jack is flying above any one of the residences, it means that the Queen is not in residence. But when the royal standard is flying above, we know the Queen is in residence present, not just distant, but right in there, right in residence. And when two people gather in a home to pray, the royal standard of God's love and victory is flying with them. When a group of people meet together to pray in this building or in Hazelmere or across this, or across this place, God's royal standard of love and victory is above them. Because he is present. He is resident with them. In a prison. On, on a beach, as, as happened there in Paul's F, as people went and took people down to be baptised in the ocean. That was church. And as they did that, the royal standard of God's love and his presence and his victory was flying above that church, that expression of church. And his royal standard is flying over us now. Because he is resident here. And didn't we know that in that time of worship? He's present with us now. This is his dwelling place. This is his home. So we are in the dwelling place of God right now. The church is also referred to the, in the Bible as the body of Christ, with Christ as the head. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians now. Now this is not the whole uh, passage here, but I'm going to just read parts of the passage. It's going to be up on the screen here to 1 Corinthians 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. God has ordered it such that everyone has a part to play. Do you know the word part?
heart appears 19 times in that one passage of scripture, 12, verses 12 to 21. 19 times. And I think when words appear 19 times, the writer's trying to make a point. And here Paul is making a real point about the part that we have to play. You have a part to play in the church. You have a part to play. You have your own unique giftings, your own unique skills, your own unique experience, your background, your passion, your abilities, your personality. That's a part to play in God's body. Romans 12, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. It is if serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We all have gifts. And your gift is a blessing to the church. And it's blessing to give of your gift for the church and it's blessing for you to receive of the gifts of others. The gift of encouragement. Blessing just to receive that gift of others. You're called to be a blessing to the church. And whether so it's leading a small group or helping with children's work, being part of the worship team or the PA team or the projection team, part of the missions team, whether it's prayer or prophecy or giving or just setting up before the meeting, those that put out the chairs at Hazelmere site, those that are setting up here from 8 o'clock in the morning, setting up, you are giving of your gifts. You are playing your part. You're playing your part in the church. So here's, here's the question. What part are you playing? What part are you playing? God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So where's God placed you? Ask him, Lord, where have you placed me? See, church is not just about attendance. It's about involvement. It's about involvement. So how involved are you? Ask God, Lord, I want to get stuck in. I want to, I want to play my part. It's not a spectator sport. I want to be on the field. I want to be playing. I want to get, I want to get involved. How, how can I get involved? I've got gifts to give. We, we need each other. We need each other's gifts. So we are all formed together in this, this, this amazing, beautiful body that plays different parts and different functions. And some functions are more visible than the others. But every part has a, has a unique role to play in the, the working of the body. So what part have you got to play? Let's get involved. Let's ask the Lord. Lord, whatever it is, what part can I play? We also believe in the the communion of saints. Now that's an interesting one, isn't it? The communion of saints. It's communion here of saints. And I I don't know about you, but um, I don't tend to go around thinking of myself as a saint. That's not perhaps very spiritual. I just go walking around, I'm a saint. Uh, You know, what did you do at the weekend? I, I uh, I was at the communion of saints yesterday morning. Um, you know, we did, we, it's kind of that, it's one of those words, isn't it? Um, when we hear the word saint, we kind of think of perfection. We, we think of, you know, just absolutely, uh, pure, just totally good, almost sanctimonious potentially. If you polished your halo, you're a saint. But actually, Paul often referred to the churches in his writings as holy people. He opened his letters many times to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. 
And Ephesians, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And if Paul's writing a letter to this church today, he'd write to God's holy people in High Wycombe. We're God's holy people. We are a communion of saints. Now, the Hebrew word again for holo is kodesh. It's kodesh. And it means a partness or set apart. A separateness, sacredness. So, sainthood is not about any good acts that we have done. The fact that we are holy is nothing to do with the good that we have done. It's not our own merit. It's not our own sanctity. We're not here wallowing in our own goodness and our own sanctity and how good we've been this week and how wonderful we've been to others. We're all saints because God has set us apart for himself. And when we believe and we put our trust and our faith in Jesus, we, we become saints because we inherit by faith his righteousness. We inherit by faith his purity. Heard that phrase, you act righteously because you are righteous. Not you are righteous because you act righteously. So to say that we believe in the communion of saints does not mean that we believe in some kind of holy club. That the church is a, a club of holy people that have somehow achieved a level of goodness. It means that actually we believe in a holy God who has saved us, has made us holy through faith in the blood of Jesus. He's called us into a community where his work of restoration can occur. And I think we'd all admit that our thoughts, our actions, our attitudes at times are not saintly. And we need his continuous forgiveness. We need the constant flow of his love and his grace and his forgiveness. And there's a cleansing that happens in the church. There's a cleansing that happens in this place of God's dwelling. There's something that goes on spiritually. 1 John 1, 7 says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another over coffee as we say hello to each other, as we bump into each other, we, as we talk. We, 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 we have fellowship with one another. We're having fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. There's a cleansing that happens. There's a, there's a washing that happens. There's a washing of the, the, the body and the feet that happens spiritually to us as we gather together. It's a supernatural thing that just goes on. And that was definitely my experience at, at Dudley Christian Fellowship in that photograph. I was invited to a meeting. I went along. I didn't really know what it was about. There were no pews. It was a bit different. Uh, but the, 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 the guy speaking gave a call for those that want to be cleansed, that won't want to be forgiven of their sins. And I went forward and I met two complete strangers, but they were saints. They were saints. They were holy people because of what Christ had done in their lives. And I met two complete strangers and they led me through a prayer of saying sorry to God for the things I'd done. And I sensed his cleansing. I knew his cleansing. I went bounding home that night full of joy and full of, full of sense of freedom and release. And it was just a wonderful moment, but it, it happened within the church. It happened where God's presence was. It's great when we read stories of God meeting people in their homes. It happens, praise the Lord, but church plays a part always. Be it on the Alpha course or coming along on a Sunday morning, it's the gathering of God's people where it really happens. This is a place of forgiveness. This is a place of restoration. This is a place together where we meet together and, and we, we build each other up. It's a place of hope. 
It's a, it's a place of freedom. It's a, it's a gathering of, of sinners that have been saved by grace and made pure and holy by his righteousness. It's a place of freedom and victory. And the church reflects God's glory and light in the world. We are the body of Christ, we're the bride of Christ, and in this place we are reflecting the, the, the glory of God in the world. The Apollo mission in 1960s made it absolutely clear that the moon is a dark lump. It's not a star. It has no light of its own. It's not a planet. It's actually called a satellite. And when they landed on there, it was absolutely clear. This is just a dark lump of mass. It's just there. It just sits there. It obviously sits there and it's just a dark lump. It has no light whatsoever of its own. But you know when there's a full moon and you go out walking... Or you have to draw the curtains at home and we say the moon's bright tonight, isn't it? It's a bright moon tonight. It's a really, it's a low bright moon. You know, the, the moon's not bright tonight. It's the sun that's bright. The moon's reflecting the light from the sun. It's reflecting, the only light is the sun. The brightness is coming from the sun, but the moon is bright. The moon is glorious. Isn't it great to look up at a full moon? It's glorious. But its brightness is coming from the sun. And so too with us, we reflect the Lord's glory. We have no light of our own. The church has no light with its people here. We do good things, it's great. But in terms of the glory of God, we're reflecting his glory. We're reflecting his light. Each one of us is reflecting his glory wherever we are. We are are reflecting his light. Sometimes we go into places and it's like, you're reflecting the glory of God. Hebrews 10, sorry, 2 Corinthians 3. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into his image with intensifying glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the church is reflecting his glory through no light of our own, but by the glorious light of the Son of God, Jesus so what's our, what's our response to all of this? We've just touched on some of the characteristics of the church, but what is our response today? Well, Hebrews 10, 25 says, Do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Encourage one another, and do not give up meeting together. You know, with today's modern technology... It's actually quite easy to stay at home, play some worship music, download a preach or watch a preach on TV, have a time of prayer, you could even have an offering, have some prophetic support on as well. But you could, you know, you could, you could, you could do all that, the technology's there now. You can hear teaching, you can, you can worship at home, you can do it all at home, but that's not church. It's great to do that, but that's not church, that's not what God's called us into. He's called us into community. He's called us into community. So, so let's make church part of our routine. Let's make it part of our routine. You know, Paul said these words, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Some are in the habit of just giving up. Let's just stop meeting together. We don't need to keep meeting together. I mean, I'm, I'll, church, I'll do church. It's not a problem. I'll, I'll do church when I feel like it. But I, it's just, no, Paul's saying actually create a habit of meeting together. Because you need to encourage each other. You need each other. You need to care for each other. To help each other. Actually to admonish each other. Iron sharpens iron. You know, you can't be a hermit in a cave. You're not going to change. You're not going to meet with people that challenge you. That you need to forgive. 
imperfect people like us. There's no perfect church because we're in it. We need to be accountable to each other, to pray for each other, to protect each other, to support each other, to care for each other. And actually, we also need to do our part to encourage unity. Ephesians 4, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. You know, as I said, there's no such thing as a perfect church because we're in it, but we are being made perfect. We are being made perfect. And we all have to do our part in that to encourage unity. And Paul talks about being long-suffering, talks about being humble. That's about just, I'm going to protect unity. Make every, every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. So we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. We believe in the communion of saints. We believe that God dwells amongst his people, the church, that he dwells amongst us, that his, his banner is, is being raised above us now that he's in residence. We believe in the body of Christ, that we all have a unique part to play. And we believe we're all saints. We are. We're holy people. As we're being transformed, we're forgiven, we're set free, and we reflect God's glory to the world. So why do you come to church? Well, whatever the reason, know that you have a part to play. You have a part to play here today. Get involved, bring your gifts, be blessed. Be a blessing. Let's not give up. Let's keep going. Those that serve, keep serving. God sees it all. Keep going. Keep persevering. Because God's church is here to stay. We believe in the future of the church. And we believe actually in an even more glorious future in eternity. For no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared in advance for those who have loved him. Amen? Amen.